0: You are listening to the Therefore a Geek Podcast, episode 104. Hi everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm dazed and confused because we read a really weird comic book this week. We (laughs) did. I am warped. Yeah, my dreams have been fucking trippy as shit. (laughs) So this week we read Jodorowsky's The InCal. The
1: classic European comic book. I feel like for those who enjoy Eurocomics, this one has got to be like Eurocomics Akira or something. This is the, it feels like this is one of the central defining texts of, of Euro comic books. It,
0: it really is the gold standard for a lot of reasons.
1: Yeah, and we're definitely going to try our best to dive into that without separating our minds from our bodies, which could possibly happen during the course of this recording.
0: Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's no joke. But before we get into that, we've got a couple of news stories. We have the kind of surprising passing of Bill Paxton today.
1: Very sudden, shocking, and as of the, this morning of recording, it was it was announced.
0: Yeah, yep. also the passing of... Of an actor from Game of Thrones uh, who played the, the giant during the, the Battle on the Wall.
1: Mag, the mighty.
0: And then the really final word on Hellboy 3.
1: Yeah, and th- this has been going, this kind of rumor mill has been going on forever, and director Guillermo del Toro has kindly put the fork in this one for good.
0: So, like I said, Bill Paxton passed away as of this morning. I mean... I, I mean, they announced it probably about noon because I was in the garage cleaning for about an hour. It wasn't mm-hmm. on Facebook when I went into the garage and I come out and Becky's like, do you hear Belt Paxton died? She gets all over Facebook. I was like, that must have just come out. Right. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that it was complications from surgery. He was only 61. Yeah. And
1: there's not much details on it. Uh, I, I kind of skimmed around to see if I could find anything else that I could corroborate between news sites. And all I can get is that it was a, a heart surgery, some kind of heart surgery. And uh, he suffered a stroke. As a result of that, so, um, that's the only other bit of information I was able to track down.
0: Yeah, the only thought I've got on that one is I'm wondering if we're looking at something like more like a John Ritter again, mm-hmm. or is it like a, more of a medical malpractice? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, unfortunately,
0: blood clots are one of those things that when
1: you do heart surgery, where people do heart surgery, where professional doctors do heart surgery, like that's always a concern. No, it absolutely is. And, and this sounds like it was one of those things where the blood clot Formed and worked its way up into his brain. Terribly unfortunate.
0: Yeah, really. But
1: what's amazing about Paxton's career is he's been around for such a long time, and he's he's kind of, like, dropped in and out of leading man status, but when it comes to kind of the, the geek sci-fi universe, he has this really funny presence where he's always in the background, especially in the 80s and 90s.
0: Yeah, although, I mean, even as of a couple of years ago, he had a fairly strong role in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Ah, yeah. You I know, mean, I'm, I'm
0: I mean, you and I are both big fans of Aliens
1: Aliens I mean you know he was the weirdo in Terminator he, right. was, the, he was the punk big brother in Weird Science True Lies Tombstone I mean just The list goes on and on. I actually have
0: fond memories about Tombstone.
1: I have like fond memories of U five seven one. Um, I don't remember him in Edge of Tomorrow, and I recently saw that, and I can't remember him in it. But certainly, I think for me, just personally, Bill Paxton will always be the tornado chaser. Like that's just for me personally.
0: I think that's probably the first film for guys our age that we really recognized him in. Yeah, and that
1: was, again, he was leading man in that one.
0: He was leading man and that was right about the time we were old enough to start seeing PG-13 movies.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. My dad took me to see it because I think it's the summer after Jurassic Park or something like that and I I always enjoyed that movie when I was a kid and then when I see it again on television, it's a goofy-ass movie but man, I, I can't not enjoy it. Especially how, like, Bill Paxton has tornado sense. <laughs> like right. he's got he's got tornado sense and then the whole plot of them competing with the other Corporate scientists who aren't in it for the science but are in it for the money, which is just ridiculous when you say that out loud, but it worked for that movie. Right. It, it was really Bill Paxton will always be the tornado chaser to me.
0: Yeah, well, I guess it, like, it's one of those t- those first movies we saw that were PG-13s. So I think it's part of the reason that people our age have the 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 love and affinity for Jurassic Park as much as we do.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely, and it's it's funny, like because Bill Paxton leaves you with a a lesson. I've said this before, and I and I'm not certainly the only one who has thought this up or come up with it, but like he was was in movies at like the age of 17, like working with Roger Corbin. And it's one of those like lessons of you wanna like make it in Hollywood, like just move to LA and get a job working for someone who's making movies. And and that's basically how Paxton just I mean really just a career journeyman who, who managed to, to reach fairly impressive heights. Yeah. He just, just got in there and just worked.
0: All right, so moving on to Game of Thrones.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a kind of another sudden death. Unfortunately, this gentleman died very, very young. Um, known 36. as British thirty-six, a British Britain's tallest man at seven foot seven. Neil Fingleton. F- I'm never sure with these British names. Fingleton, Figgleton. We'll go with that. Fingleton. Okay. Uh, so again, heart failure. Uh, probably just one of those a condition of just being that big. Was on the uh, British national team during the Olympics in two thousand, but is known as as, to many of us, as Mag the Mighty from the Battle of the Wall, and then uh, the Fisher King from
0: Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, you know, guys that size unfortunately have a lot of uh, health problems. Now, mm-hmm. here, here's a have you ever seen someone that size? Because he was 7 7. In person, not 7
1: 7. So when I was very young, my dad got us like courtside, not quite courtside seats behind the basket at Madison Square Garden. And we were watching, it was a Knicks Heat game. And we were watching the Knicks warm up so like charles oakley and patrick hewing and all those guys were on the floor and hewing is like seven something seven one six eleven yeah. and and these guys are big and i was a kid and i was seeing them and i'm like holy crap that is huge yeah right that that's the cl- the closest i've come since then is i met penn gillette in person and he's only six nine
0: so the tallest man in America or the, the tallest man born in America now cuz a, a Russian moved to the US a couple years ago that was a couple inches taller uh-huh. actually lives in in Portsmouth Virginia where I where I live. Really? Yeah, he is a deputy sheriff, and I have seen him at the mall. The
1: Russian? No, is no, a no. Deputy sheriff? Oh, no. the, the American.
0: The American. Okay. He is seven foot eight.
1: Jeez, that's Yao Ming big.
0: That's that's bigger than Yao Ming. What was, okay, is okay? Was it? I think I think Yao Ming's like seven foot eight. I th- I mean, this dude is. I come up to le- below his shoulder. Oh, and you're I, I am you're six right. Y-
1: Yao Ming was seven six, at least official NBA height. Yeah, seven six.
0: Yeah. I mean, this guy is just massive. He fortunately, because I actually looked this up, does not have some of the the heart problems that some of these other gentlemen do
1: yeah usually it's some sort like the guys who are big like this tend to have like a medical condition where it's like like i don't know if it's called giantism or giantitis or whatever it is but it's like they're it's like a pituitary gland problem where they just keep growing yeah and and, you know their muscles don't attach to their body properly so like these obscenely tall dudes tend to have health problems and unfortunately it seemed like uh neil was one of them where you contrast that with a guy like Shaq, who was seven foot two, seven foot three, but he was just naturally big. I don't think he had the the giantism or any of that kind of pituitary problems.
0: No, I mean, looking at Sha- the way Shaq's put together, I can't. No, I can't. That's see what I'm that. Saying
1: Shaq is put together like a space marine. Like, he, he is basically <laughs> yeah. a space. You want to know what a space marine from 40K probably would look like in real life? Shaq. Even though I think, according to the fluff, uh, they've got eight inches on Shaq.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, still. 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 Yeah, yeah. This, this guy is 18 inches taller than I am. A full foot and a that half. That's
1: just remarkable.
0: Yeah, I saw, him, I saw him going through the mall, and I was like, holy God. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, this dude is a freaking sheriff's deputy. It's like Hightower from the fucking Police Academy movies, <laughs> except I, I taller. Like,
1: I just, like, surrender. I'm like, all right, you got me. Right. I just give yeah. up. No, like, I, absolutely. Fine, done. I probably just give up most of the time anyway. It's not like I'm a fighter, but, like, him in particular, I'd just be more ready. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even argue. No. Like, I didn't do anything. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did it. Oh, I'll confess to shit I didn't even do. It's a Hellboy. Yeah, let's talk about another death. This one, at least not. Sad. Sad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sad to some people. So, like, this has just been an ongoing, we haven't really delved into this as one of our ongoing stories on the podcast, but I've certainly had many conversations with many friends, I think you included. Yes. Where where it's just the mystery of the Hellboy franchise is just this ongoing saga. And I remember, and it was funny, we had to check this, that Hellboy 1 has come out. came out in 2004, Hellboy Two some years later, I don't exactly remember when. I want to say two thousand ten. Now I got to look it up. Two thousand
0: nine maybe. I just wrote Hello,
1: boy, in my Google box search, and I just got weird stuff that came up. Nice. Yeah, 2008. All right, so 2008. So it's been almost a decade since Hellboy 2. So Hellboy 3, as far as anyone is concerned, has officially had a stake driven through its heart, uh, as told by none other than Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. And this is a tweet that you sent me the link from uh, comicbook.com. And on his Twitter, Del Toro says, quote, Hellboy 3, sorry to report, spoke with all parties, must report that 100% the sequel will not happen, and that is to be the final thing about it. So that was as of the 21st yeah. of this. So, and that, that just settles it.
0: And, I mean, that you know, just... I was looking back on this. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I would have been down for Hellboy 3 because I like Hellboy. But mm-hmm. I went looking back at it, and, I mean, both of the first two movies lost money.
1: Yep, they weren't winners.
0: I mean, I think they came fairly close on breaking even with the international numbers, but, you know, mm-hmm. they cost... Domestically, they each... And this is just based on gross, not even net. But domestically, they both lost about between 15 and 20 million.
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's tough to to recover from especially it's a tough sell even in today like more so today and personally i haven't rewatched any of these in a while i saw the first hellboy and thought it was all right didn't really care much for it and when the second one came out i remember my buddies and i had this ongoing like joke of who the hell asked for this movie and that's kind of like when it started because as you pointed out the first one did mediocre and didn't do particularly well mediocre with fans and i understand it had diehard fans but like for the (laughs) most Most All part. comic
0: movies do, to right? Some but degree. for the
1: most part, there wasn't this like overflow of adulation for this movie. And you know, in two thousand four, we're in the beginning of the comic book craze where you've already had Spider-Man make four hundred million dollars, right? And this one's this one's doing you know nineteen ninety nine money, and it's like okay. And then in two thousand eight, it doesn't do much better. Although I will have to say, Hellboy two: The Golden Army
0: was in very enjoyable. Oh, absolutely! I watched it very, again maybe six months ago, and, yeah, and enjoyed mind. myself again.
1: I wouldn't mind sitting through that one again, because it was very, very enjoyable. Uh, but past that, I just, like you said, it didn't make money, and I don't think there's a drive to bring back Hellboy 3 from the masses.
0: Uh,
1: who? What studio was, was gonna work on this? Do we know? Did
0: you, uh, did Lionsgate did
1: the first two. Okay, so, well, I mean, Lionsgate's always that, if you got cheap crap, we can make it studio. Right. But it better be cheap crap. And I don't think that's how they were going to pull this one off. No,
0: I don't think cheap. You were talking about you know movies that like don't didn't really have the fan support. Mm -hmm. And and I always go back to like Underworld because I just I don't understand how we made so many Underworld movies. I don't either. And I was actually I was talking with a coworker like two nights ago about it. He was like, I enjoyed Underworld. I was like, No, no, you didn't. You like Kate Beckinsale, which you you didn't enjoy Underworld. There's a difference,
1: right? I love Kate Beckinsale, but Underworld is terrible.
0: Right. <laughs> that's, it's that's, the same, that's what it's I told him. With, and, and, it's the same and thing with he, the Resident Evil movies.
1: It's like, how are we still making these? Mia Jovi keeps getting naked. She does not get naked. I would be watching those if she was getting naked.
0: She didn't at least have several of them.
1: Like, topless naked? Yeah. I'm looking that up. I'm right. looking up. Okay, fine. I'll take your word for it. I saw a couple of them, and I didn't see Mila Jovovich nakedness. I, she certainly didn't get naked in the second one.
0: I, anyway. I can't remember the second one. <laughs> didn't care. No, that's
1: because it was ten years ago. The second one was from ten years ago. Yeah. More than
0: ten years ago. No, it's more than ten. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But see, what the getting back to this Hellboy thing, it's it's when you look at like Del Toro's filmography as a director, I I I understand that he's beloved by again many fans. Uh, overall, I've just been kind of underwhelmed with his general
0: output. You know, he's one of those people. And, and he will freely admit this because I've, I've seen articles and interviews with him. He's got like a half dozen projects going at any given time mm-hmm. and only one or two of those will survive.
1: Sure. And that's the Hollywood system these days.
0: He's no, but he's he is worse than most. Like, mm-hmm. you know, directors will have a couple of projects like you know, like he will be like deeply invested in like five or six projects mm-hmm. like absolutely 100 committed to do it and then it just will it will just start dissolving
1: yeah i wonder if it's him or the studios
0: i uh... i i i've heard him say he just he overextends himself right like there's just all these really cool things he wants to do and he knows he can't do all of them and he's trying to do all of them and basically it's like a Survival—it's of the f- it's like a Hunger Games for you know, for like his ideas. Yeah, which, and I which feel ones like, will survive?
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's a really bad way to do it, just because, like I said, his actual output just seems super underwhelming when you, when you look at like his. I, his last three movies that have been released are crimson peak pacific rim and hellboy 2 right? yeah although those, i
0: mean pacific rim's getting a sequel
1: it is but that was it's another one of those like who really asked for this one and then you're like oh it's the foreign market
0: yeah oh,
1: okay well you foreign know?
0: market it's also got a kind of a cult it's like *Hellboy*; it's got a cult following here like there are people who are like really True. hardcore fans of that movie
1: yeah i just haven't met any of them in person uh but i think most people who saw pacific were like yeah that was kind of cool and then they forget about it and it's just I don't know if you can make a franchise. and then again, people want to make franchises, so I don't know if you can make a franchise out of that. We'll this does,
0: John, Boyega, yeah, we'll John Boyega's on board for it, so
1: yeah, and this is the one thing I'm I always wondered is is we I was thinking about this earlier, our former film professor uh, Rocco had posted a uh interview with John Landis, John Carpenter, and David Cronenberg. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, these are when you mention these directors' names, like you're like, Oh, I wanna see their movie because it's super unique and super interesting, even though these guys haven't really really done much in the last decade and a half. I don't know if we have that kind of director these days. Like, oh, this guy's making a new movie. It's few and far between. And Del Toro is one of those guys who when people say it's a Del Toro movie, we got to be excited about him. Like, yeah, except I'm not. Right. You know, it's I I feel like we desperately want to have those auteur directors back and I don't know if we're in an age of them right now. Probably. I don't know. it doesn't certainly doesn't feel like it, so.
0: All right, the incal Speaking of auteurs, yeah,
1: good god. So the incal How to start a conversation about the incal without having to go bullet point by bullet point in this bizarre plot of a sci-fi? What I I, I was thinking about this last night. This is truly a space opera in yes. every form, right? I, sometimes I don't. I don't know if I've told you this before. I've, I have don't like the phrase space opera because I don't think it means anything to anyone. I just, it's one of those phrases that no one clearly defines. Being someone who is a fan of operas, like, but this one really felt like it. Yes. This one, this one truly felt like it was an opera because it had all the elements of an operatic plot, yet it was wrapped up in this sci-fi, fantasy, religious, psychedelic... psychedelic envelope or burrito wrap that just brings a reader on a ride that I don't know if anyone who's cracking this book open for the first time or reading the first volume however whatever medium it comes to because that's I guess something we'll talk about later is it's it's, it's how it's been sold to American audiences is kind of unique I don't know if anyone's ever ready for something like this certainly if you're not an American audience member right
0: so getting started to the Incal is by Alejandro Jodorowsky who is the so writer a,
1: a favorite of ours here at Therefore. for a geek yes. We have mentioned him many
0: times and the art is by mobius or another an, favorite
1: if, i don't know if we mentioned him much
0: but if you if you're into comic book art this is a name you should know right so one i love i love the way Yodorowski pronounces it which is moebius
1: which
0: <laughs> just makes me, yeah. yeah which makes me laugh right but there was on, I saw on instagram or twitter one of the Kuberts who runs the Cubert school for comics and mm-hmm. That's the wrong name, but they have a school, and and their father was Joe Kubert, who was one of the the very old school Jack Kirby era artists yep. in comics. Uh, he was giving a lecture on people who have just the the best. Sequential art storytelling, mm-hmm. I and mean, basically he he like he had um he, he took a picture of it of the his list of names of people that students should go look at, and one of the first ones was Mobius. I mean it's you know Jack sure. Jack Kirby, Joe Q, his his dad Joe Kubert. There are some some modern comic writers too, but Mobius is one of the first ones on that list, and the man is just amazing. And I mean there are a lot of good comparisons with him and Jack Kirby, not in terms of style, but in terms of their influence on comics and uh. Quite Honestly, the speed at which they could produce comics.
1: Yeah, I was, I was about to mention output is just something that when you talk about Mobius is is something that you should not underestimate.
0: The output and so Mo, uh, Mobius and Yodorowski actually met when Yodorowski was making, attempting to make Dune. Mm-hmm. He came across Mobius's Blueberry comics. Mm-hmm. which The is a, Western oh, comics. Yep, yeah. which is the Western. And so he hired Mobius and Mobius basically did all the crap. I'm drawing a blank on what they are. All the you, ske- mean, you,
1: you mean like the sketches, like the storyboards?
0: Yes, there we go. All the storyboards. Okay. And Yotarowski was just blown away by the speed at which he would work. He would he would draw almost as fast as Yotarowski would would talk. Right, and then and we've when...
1: seen guys like that, like at an
0: artist alleys, who just will blow you. They're they're a dream to watch. Oh yeah, and then when the the Dune project fell apart, Yotarowski basically went. He had done some comic work before, mostly comic mm-hmm. strips, but then he basically went into doing comic books almost exclusively. And the two of them started working on the Incal.
1: And a lot of the ideas that developed while working on dune does apparently bleed over into into the incal
0: yeah for anyone who has seen yodorovsky's dune the documentary mm-hmm. they actually show some of the things that that have bled over obviously since you know most people don't have access to one of the the infamous dune books since there is only two known to still exist mm-hmm. we can't quite see all the things that bled over but there are certain things that have made it out that we can see
1: yeah so I guess the best way to start this one off is the basic plot of the incal or at least the the first initial plot of the incal is it's really the best way we could describe it is the initial plot of the incal is a character who is a private investigator kind of very noirish named john defool d-i-f-o-o-l is thrown off a ledge on some sort of metropolis and basically the reason why is because he has this item called the incal that all the big power players are going for are trying to Get. It's almost like a MacGuffin, but as the book, and we're talking specifically the humanoids release of The Incal, which the Incal is a story that was published in installments from '81 to '88. So we're basically talking about the big book, uh, the series called the Incal that ran during those installments. There yeah. were others that ran up until
0: 2014. Right. So, so the, these five, it's it's basically broken into five volumes: the Black Incal, mm-hmm. the Luminous Incal, What Lies Beneath, What Is Above, mm-hmm. and the Fifth Essence.
1: Right. And that there's, the Fifth Essence is broken into like two parts. Yep. Uh, uh, and and basically, it this Incal starts off as a MacGuffin but as it was funny as i was reading this i don't know if you had this thought i'm reading the book going i'm hoping at some point they they give me a definition of the incal because i have no way of explaining it like of what the hell this thing is and the best i could come up with is this incal is like the source of consciousness energy matter everything's ultimate power in the universe it is this macguffin that is the cornerstone of the universe that our characters live in that's the best... I don't know, did you did you find a way to describe that more clearly than I did? Because I know that's, feels in- that feels... Insane? It, yeah, or it just, <laughs> it just feels like it doesn't quite <clears throat> truly give you the definition. But that's basically what this is, is all the powers of the universe, and we, we see them unfold over the course of the book, are all going after it. And then we later learn that our primary enemy is truly this thing called the darkness. And we get a group of heroes in the first part of the book made up of John Dafoe, his suddenly vocal concrete seagull parrot Called Depot, a character called the Meta Baron, and then two sisters, Anima and Tanata. Tanata, and and of course they're accompanied by a wolf-headed man, wolf named Kill Wolfhead, appropriately named. And then um, Saloon, the son, the adopted son of the Meta Baron, and lot biolo- we find biological son of Anima and John Defu. Trust me, we're not going to explain that part because that'll take us another twenty minutes. And that's basically <laughs> these characters just go off into this adventure to fight. The Evil Darkness. If you've seen The Fifth Element, it's kind of like that.
0: And in fact, Yodorowsky and Mobius sued Luke yes, Besson over yes, just that.
1: Over it. They lost, but it's enough to, like, if you've seen the fifth element, it's kind of like that,
0: sort of. It's not way complicated. more complicated.
1: Yeah, 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 way more complicated. So, I've read this I read this book, the first installments of the book, when uh, Humanoids DC put it out in two separate volumes, In Cal, The Epic Journey, and In Cal, The Epic Conspiracy. Actually, I think uh, Epic Conspiracy was the first one, and Epic Journey was the second. And they were beautiful, trippy books, and I just, the first time you read it, you're going, this is just an adventure on the most bizarre, epic, unyielding scale I've, I can think of. I mean, just what what are the first impressions you can think of when you read a book like this, a story like this?
0: So one of the things that, that, that really got to me was they really, really throw you into the absolute middle of everything.
1: Yes. I mean, literally the first panel is John Dafoe, or Did actually not, not quite the first panel, but, but within the first two pages, uh, we, our hero is getting beat up by dudes in green and then thrown off a giant ledge.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even more than that, they introduce a whole lot of characters and groups
1: and concepts
0: and concepts within the first, you know, 20 pages Mm -hmm. that they spend the entire rest of the book playing with.
1: Right. And there's never a clear definition or explanation you really have to grant the writer of the book this this kind of leeway and he's like i'm going this direction you just have to go with me and you have to accept this universe and and you're like okay let's do this that's the way I, i approach it is like yes let's absolutely see where he's going with this and i mean it's just the imagery alone is so in many ways like startling and bizarre. I can imagine your average comic book reader just going, "All right, I'm done" and just slamming the book
0: shut. No, I mean this is this is not capes and tights. I mean let's no. let's, let's be very I mean this isn't even this isn't even image this isn't even the weird stuff. Some of the weird, oddball stuff that Image comes out. I mean, this is.
1: This is uniquely. It is, it, and not only that. And, and to, and to expand, it's, <laughs> it's not even your typical bizarre American sci-fi. This is truly like Euro surrealistic sci-fi.
0: Well, I, I was gonna say this is the gold standard for metal or right? Which is heavy metal. Which is what the heavy metal magazine is based on. I mean, yes. This is in France. Yes. This is the gold standard. hmm
1: and I, and I think one of the features of those kind of of comics that were featured in both the American heavy metal and the French one is this kind of just surrealistic, sci-fi fantasy that you know in in american context as we kind of separate sci-fi fantasy a little bit in euro sci-fi in particular the incal there's a huge blend between the spiritual the fantasy and the scientific that's almost indistinguishable in in the in this book yeah and, and that's just kind of what you gotta roll with and as the book progresses and we have the same group of heroes it's it's amazing how the story you just dive down into this book and and, and, and it does not give you a second to take a breath no at any point it, Hey, there's one crisis after the another, and you're like, "How does this end? <laughs> like, how do they finish this?"
0: And the stakes just become more and more and more intense.
1: Right. Yes. They, absolutely.
0: Well, we were talking the other day about the Lego Batman movie, where it got it got so so heavy, so built up. You're like, "How are they going to end this?" hmm I mean, without without getting ahead of ourselves, there. I mean, th- they basically had to go to God.
1: Yes. Yeah. That was basically like like, that they is, had to, like, that creature is the,
0: it. yeah the the point. We start with some dude getting his ass kicked and we end with God.
1: Yeah, that's 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 exactly it.
0: And and the trip between here and there more outrageous than you could possibly grasp.
1: I that's it's a way of putting it. And I feel like to me, that's the fun of this story. Is these are just outrageous adventures where you have an artist, a, a, and a writer who are like, Let's just get nuts. Let's push the limits of creative sci fi storytelling. Yeah,
0: and, and this feel- is something that Yodorowski is known for. I mean if you've if People who are even at all impassingly familiar with their films, because I don't think most of our most people have ever even seen a Yotarowski film. I think you and mm-hmm. I are probably some of the few. Yeah. And we've or seen even his, read his other comics. Right, and we've seen the one. I assume you and I have both seen El Topo. Yeah. Right. Been and, a while, but yeah. But, but that's one of his least weird films. hmm I can't remember which what movie came after El Topo. I'm gonna have to pull
1: it up. I should have pulled them up.
0: Yeah, pull, actually, I, pull that up real quick, because I can't remember the name of it. Like, is it the Sacred Mountain, I think?
1: I was going to say Mountain something. I, I, I don't remember. I think it's remember. the
0: Sacred Mountain. And it is just... Yeah,
1: no, I'm sorry. The Holy Mountain.
0: The Holy Mountain. There we go. The Holy Mountain. Yeah, that was... It is one of the most bizarre things. Have I mean, you seen clips of it? Mm-hmm. it is so outrageous. And that's one of the things Jodorowsky really loves doing, is exploring all of these different concepts. Um, I mean, and, and, and no concept is off-limits. I mean, sexuality, mm-hmm. the, the concepts of good and evil.
1: Claustral.
0: Religion, I mean everything.
1: I mean. You know, sexuality and violence, sometimes separate, sometimes merged in one.
0: Actually, one of the one of the most interesting things I think they go into is the the fight between natural and living and mm-hmm. technological and dead. Mm-hmm. And and that one that is really one of the one things at the core of this book. Yeah, as you talked about the the darkness. The darkness mm-hmm. is I mean, it's the ultimate enemy, but it's allied with the the techno techno.
1: Right. The the kind of like uh, techno priests that you would see in in asimov or Or 40k yeah 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 and like somehow they've been you know it's interesting that the, the the techno technos are these you know Te- technologists, you know, the, the futurists, the 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 driving force of the technology, but they're the ones that get corrupted by this darkness right. and produce these Death Star like weapons that wipe out entire solar systems. And, and on a mass scale, right? It's not like we've got one Death Star, look how terrible this is, we've got these shadow 10,000 eggs.
0: We shadow have 10,000 shadow eggs. Of
1: them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's the type of operatic scale that we're dealing with, and it's just, I mean, it's remarkable. And I mean, the the kind of, you know, John Defoo is definitely, I think, the most Interesting character to me just because he's this kind of schmuck everyman who, somewhere in the middle of the story, just wants to get out of the get to get out.
0: I think he like, stays a schmuck everyman for the whole the whole book.
1: Oh, he's yes, totally. He's a schmuck the entire time. But I love the parts where he starts just going, I'm done, <laughs> like I want out of yes. This. No, and, I think the, and, they, and they keep coming back like, No, the meta baron's got a plan for you, you got to do it. He's like, Why can't the meta baron do it? Right, he's no, awesome.
0: My favorite part is when they recognize that. Saloon is his son, and basically that that Anima had taken the taken the form of one of his homeo horrors, which is just also amusing.
1: Yeah, just the language alone is the techno technos, the homeo horrors, the the paleo hell, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just it's just so
0: much fun. But when they reveal that, and he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, that means there's some deeper purpose, and they're like, no, shut up. You're dumb. Right. Your your DNA was lucky.
1: Yeah, she was like, there was a one in a million chance that urine DNA would make this kid, and we got lucky. Stop.
0: Right. (laughs) Oh, uh, it was so good. Cause they're like, he's like, oh, my special? No, no, you're not. Shut up.
1: And you know, the, the, what I always found the most operatic of this was the way they treated interpersonal relationship because they're not particularly complex. And I'm thinking in terms of John DeFoe's DeFool's mission with the what's her name, the Proto Queen or something. Yeah, the
0: Proto Queen. The Proto
1: Queen, where she falls in love with them just instantly. I mean, how Carmen-esque? How operatic is that? You know, and and it just leads to later on. It comes into play of this this great track tragedy and these are just themes that keep appearing and then it's funny when you see your heroes in peril you're like they're gonna come up with something weird to save them like it's coming you know because by that by later in the book you're like you've already seen giant jellyfish that live on water worlds save another group of our heroes a separate group that gets merged together and it's like what what, what's coming next this is uh what's the guy's name romeo romeo how did you pronounce it in your head ramo the guy with the blue. ramo yeah the guy with blue hair yeah i just it's, it's just fun. It's just really fun.
0: Yeah, it it is so crazy, and it's one of those books that I mean, not only is it a lot of fun because I mean mm-hmm. it's just it's exceptionally well, even as crazy as it is, it is it is exceptionally well written. The art is just mind-blowingly good. Mm-hmm. But it starts getting you like thinking, like it's yeah. one of those books that just in and of itself, without you realizing it, causes your brain to engage. And Mm -hmm. you start to think about those things, like I said, the nature of good and evil and the class structure and all of those kinds of things. I mean, politics is so heavy in this. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And what's what's really the kind of like great illustration of that is John Defoe's home planet, which is like T.E.R. something or another. I forgot the name of the planet. Twenty one. Twenty one or something. And how it is this giant metropolis city that is literally a hole in the ground that just travels straight down. Yeah. And as the book progresses, as, as the characters get away from TER-20 or TER-21, whatever it was called, and you, you kind of bounce back and they they kind of jump back to it in the story, like how it changes throughout the story, it's like uh, it starts off as this bustling metropolis you know, almost a Marxian nightmare of this these class separations, and then there's a revolution, and then there's a the, the upper class fight bag where the president literally like kills everybody as a war the machine,
0: necro, the necro droid. Yeah, and I
1: love the different forms. Like every time he hits a level, he can't get through, he just changes form, and then the mutants rise up, and then the Berg destroy the planet, and then we're left with these these dudes who live in the planet. I forgot what they were called, the guardians, and then they. Help change the planet into this agrarian paradise, and yeah. this happens through the course of the entire. World. It's it's an amazing like you know transformation for his home planet that I don't think he ever gets to to see. I don't <laughs> think he gets to go back. To, uh, when I say he, I
0: mean John DeFoe. Not to uh, not it. to the very end.
1: Yeah, and it's just just remarkable how they. How they like the commentary about that. I think that was that was most fun.
0: No, it's a very that part's very interesting. Yeah. uh, We mentioned the the president. Mm -hmm. That's a great character. Yeah.
1: For the time that he's very active, because eventually he just kind of breaks down. Yeah. This kind of like relentless character of the state chasing, chasing down the little guy. Like, I'm going to get you.
0: Well, and not just that, but like, you know, he first off, you know, the president isn't elected anymore. He's cloned into a new body. Right, and he goes from you know old and and fat and just horrible to you know this amazing seven foot like body and then he just goes into the you know the most egregious kind of pleasurable indulgences that would make you know Romans blush
1: yeah it basically goes from like looking like Baron Harkonnen to like an angel and then he just engages in this hedonism and then when he's finally kind of like called on it or the, the people rise up he turns into a full on war machine
0: it, it's actually funny you mentioned the the Baron Harkonnen thing mm-hmm. because the, the president's ship is actually one of those things that comes from Dune Ah, yes, yes. And although it's funny because that was actually based on not a Mobius drawing, but on H.R. Giger paintings. Was if it? You, if you look at the, the shape of the ship, it's actually based on the shape that Baron Harkonnen's uh, ship was going, or the, his fortress was going to have. Right, and right, You right. can actually also see that in uh, Prometheus in the, mm-hmm. the Alien film.
1: hmm So what was, like, your take on the kind of structure, the political structure that, that the Incal sets up? You've got the this, this him-her- emperor which is basically a a group of a pair of conjoined twins who live in a transparent fetus egg and you've got all these kind of guilds that exist the colonial partners the techno technos and then the other kind of outliers i i kind of thought that was fun and it's always when you deal with these kind of futuristic worlds almost all like these kind of big space worlds like you almost always get these all encompassing super bureaucracies that control the galaxy.
0: Yeah, I mean it reminded me a lot of, you know, Dune mm-hmm. and and Warhammer 40K. I mean, yeah. real heavy. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, 40K, I can't remember what the the, the merchants were called.
1: Oh, uh, the Rogue Traders?
0: Yeah, yeah, the Rogue Traders, which yeah. really kind of reminded me of the um in this one it was like the Economats, mm-hmm. which is you know, really just kind of took that that economic and diplomatic meshing together. You know, you had something like that, but they also reminded me a lot of you know, stuff from the, you know, the guild in Dune. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot that feels a lot of this also feels like foundation, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I think this is one of those as familiar as everything is, I think that's one of the, the things this book does very well is it takes those concepts that are familiar and you're going okay well I've I've seen and done this before but I'm okay with that because this is they, they're doing it well mm-hmm. and giving it something new. I mean, we talk about, you know, film directors that that steal from someone else, you know, steal from someone else or, or do another plot you redo a plot of something else like Magnificent Seven being a a remake of Seven Samurai that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and when it doesn't work is because it's a blatant rip off when it works is when you take it and you twist it and you make it your own
1: and, and not only that but you take it in a direction where where your audience especially your audiences who are genre savvy are not prepared for it to go right Right. and you just you're just not ready because we could redo the western over and over again but there's a part where you've just got to go somewhere else with it and at least in the in this you know this is not to me a traditional sci-fi story this is very much like a spiritualist sci-fi especially towards the end you go into that spiritual realm
0: yeah no there, i mean there are a lot of sci-fi conventions but you're right i mean and you know like that kind of spiritual stuff has i'll say a toehold in science fiction you know you get stuff like star wars and the force and things like that Mm -hmm. you know star trek dabbled in a little bit in deep space nine with the prophets and that kind of stuff but i mean this just goes full-on balls deep
1: right it is a a a very important part of the story like it is it is one of the like key features that, that kind of like they John Dafoe dies like how many times in the, in, in the first six volumes like three
0: yeah I was thinking and, three. and, they,
1: and they use these things to keep bringing him back uh, the, the kind of reanimate his atoms and they use that transcendental meditation and all that kind of stuff that reappears over and over again that it's just I'm not used to seeing it in a lot of science fiction certainly not mainstream American science fiction
0: no definitely not there yeah this is I mean, this mo- it, it, is hard because the more we talk about it the, the farther f- down the fucking rabbit hole we just fall
1: yeah and that's the other thing with this story is we were talking and before we recorded it was like we can talk about this but it's super hard to analyze it because on the one hand on the surface it is your outrageous action adventure story where there's one crisis after the other they have to deal with you know the people chasing them down to to with the Incal to merge the Incal with the Dark Incal and then once they do that then they got to fight the the Berg, and they come up with this cockamamie idea to get the Berg on their side. And then there's a coup by the the Techno Techno, and you got to get the Berg on their side to help fight techno techno and then then you know each time they fight they're like well the darkness is still out there so we got to do this and then it's just it goes on and on and on it's you really you just got to grab it and read it yourself
0: yeah and i well, think uh, it's got some of the the star wars elements with like all right here's the death star right here's the second death star right here's starkiller base
1: right 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 <laughs> i mean they, they do th- that that definitely happened i love but
0: like that one-upsmanship
1: there's that one-upsmanship but then there's like this you know we've done all this but the darkness is still out there so now we gotta go into theta dreams and, you know, and it's like that kind of ridiculousness where every human being in the galaxy has to dream at the same time.
0: Although, when they started talking about Theta dreams, immediately my brain went to Thetans.
1: Scientology? Yep. Yeah, I, I felt that too.
0: <laughs> no, and le- the two don't have anything to do with one another other than Theta is close to Thetan. Right, that's it. But yeah, it's just like... It sounds oh, yes.
1: close enough where you're like, oh uh, yeah,
0: we're doing that. Alright, Thetan dream. Oh no, 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 nope, nope. Not Thetan dream.
1: Yeah, and, and here's what's I guess what's funny, as outlandish as this is, uh, Scientology is probably more outlandish and people believe it is real
0: Yeah, there's that there's so, always that so what you're there's saying cri- is we should we should have started a religion based on the NCAL because it's more we should, believable
1: we should probably try and give it a shot because I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll at least get tax exempt status at some point
0: I, I, yeah I can live with tax exempt status
1: <laughs> and, and it's amazing because now this story is not the end of it I mean this is just the collected works from the one we're reading and again so, we're, you, we're, we're basing it on the, the humanoids release uh, from 2014 of this giant I don't know coffee table edition
0: this is uh, no. This isn't even like the nice edition. It's not the super nice edition. There, there's, yep. a, there's 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 a hundred dollar version, and right. I have seen at I think it was mid was at Midtown Comics. I think it was the Incal. It may have been uh, the final Incal. Mm-hmm. was, like a four hundred dollar version. Jeez. And I almost I was really tempted.
1: Yeah, you're tempted to to hold on to it. And this universe is so expansive. You've got the Incal, right. and they've released them as larger in in other groups as um, before Incal, uh, after Incal and final in cow yes um, and there's in addition to that and we should also probably do this one day in the meta Baron story which was my personal favorite I actually preferred meta barons over incal
0: right so yeah, um, this, not to say this... I didn't
1: like incal but but this is a huge universe.
0: Right, this book introduces the character of the Meta Baron, right. who, when we find out in the, the Meta Baron's comic series, is the final Meta Baron, the nameless Meta Baron.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's like this, it, it, that story, which he does, who does he do, um, with uh, Jimenez, yeah, is like this generational story, where you follow the generations of the Meta Barons, yeah. almost like that movie uh, American Pop. By Ralph Batchy, if you've seen that.
0: Yep. No, I mean the books are fantastic. <laughs> this is actually one of those books that I was looking for for a very long time. So we talked. We mentioned this is a 2014 reprinting. Mm-hmm. There was a reprinting before this, not the one that you have, but in this no. in this format. Right. I want to say it was like 2008 or 2010.
1: Yeah. Wikipedia has like the publication history, and, and it does get a little confusing. It
0: does. I would, but this hardcover version they had re- they had printed earlier than 2014, and you could not find it for anyone less than like 250 dollars
1: that was the one that they only released like 750 copies of right
0: no there were more than that no, more than okay no, more than that then. but yeah so i remember when i when i found i didn't realize it was a new printing when i found this uh at a store like just instantaneously picked it up dropped mm-hmm. the money because like I, I, I cannot pass on this
1: yeah th- this is interesting when you go into this world of comics like, they appear and disappear very quickly. Yes. It's not like Marvel or DC where, oh, I'll find that on the shelf of my local comic book store or Barnes & Noble. Like, you don't know when these will show up and, and when they'll disappear. Because they're guys like us who see them and they just buy them immediately because we don't know.
0: Right. Well, and, and, I mean, again, you're also trying to work with, you know, the various the various rights. Because, again, like you said, a lot of these are printed piecemeal in, in magazines like Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the publishers kind of come and go. As They as, don't
1: finish the production like they did with one of the Meta Baron
0: runs, and then
1: another company picks it up, yeah. and then it gets censored or stuff like that. Yeah,
0: now Humanoids right now is doing pretty solid. They are putting out so. a lot of, taking a look at uh, previews every month from Diamond, mm-hmm. they are putting out solid six to eight Hardcovers or trades a month mm-hmm. of a lot of their back their back catalog. So like the Incal, a ton of different Yotarowski stuff. I mean, the Metabarians is a really beautiful hardcover. Mm-hmm. You know, in, entire collection now. I mean, gorgeous, and they kept yeah. and they and they did a great job with the color.
1: I mean, Jimenez's work in, in 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 that is just startling.
0: Yeah. So you know, getting a hold of a lot of these is becoming easier. But I think that is more and more as the American audience kind of wisens up to it, and then again. I have I, I personally love American superheroes, so I don't think anything wrong with them. But as, as American superheroes or as American consumers expand their palate beyond just superheroes,
1: right? And you remember when we were going to cons when we were both in college, like these were the things that I was hunting down. Yeah, like and it,
0: and you, you were you were certainly into them much much before I was.
1: But like you remember, like we were hunting them down, and if I found them in single issues, I didn't care. Like it was like it's just one piece of the puzzle to help me complete the story. Yes. It was, it was one of those things. And you're right. They have been putting out some of the other Jodowarski stuff. I have two of them, like, right next to me, uh, Screaming Planet and... Um... Megalix, which were just equally strange and bizarre, but also a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think I also have Megalix, and there's some other ones. Actually, they're also starting to put out a lot more of um, Mobius' stuff too. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, believe it or not, one of my favorite uh, Jodorowsky books or collections is the ones he did on the Borgias with um, Manara. Yeah, yes, I know what you're talking about. Those are fantastic. It is not the typical like trippy uh, Jodorowsky that you are you might be used to in his sci-fi stuff. Like, no, he, no he it's, it's
0: very much, yeah, political intrigue and that kind of stuff. And it's I've...
1: just fantastically drawn by Manner.
0: Uh, Yeah, no. I've looked into getting getting some of those. I can never find the first couple volumes, though.
1: You know, the problem with those is they don't think they they numbered them properly. Like, so I have three of them, and I I know I don't have all of it because I feel like there's a there's an order missing. I looked that up.
0: Yeah. So you know, that's actually another another thing to point out that one of the reasons we've taken so long to do the inca because we wanted to do this for a good year at least Mm -hmm. is trying to make sense of some of the publishing and the ordering. Mm -hmm. You know, between the various publishings, they don't line up up the same like they'll do Mm -hmm. they'll do one release in trades broken up in one one particular manner and they'll do it in a different run completely differently broken up so you can like get pizza parts and pieces from each of those and still not have a complete story. Yep. Drove you nuts for years. Oh,
1: yeah, cuz it was like what do I especially cuz it would cause me to rebuy something that was from a different publisher that covered a different story, especially because they would recolor it or censor it or it would include parts of different stories that didn't weren't included in previous Publications. It was a real I mess, feel like
0: but... Meta Barons was the one that really killed you on that one. Yeah, well, remember Meta
1: Barons? Co- you,
0: were, you were hunting down Meta Barons stuff in college, and it just drove you mental.
1: Yeah, because it was in four volumes that Humanoids DC, which I don't think exists anymore, uh, was doing. And they never released the fourth volume, and then some other Humanoids released its own version of it. But it was it was a different size. The artwork was different, and they had censored a lot of the more adult elements of it. Yeah. So only recently do I have another Humanoids Volume Four where it's like it's the full thing. Yep. We actually get it. It was it was a real mess. And yeah, you're right. It did drive me crazy. Incal wasn't so bad. It was just more difficult track, at least for me at the time, tracking down the parts of the story that were before Incal, after Incal, and um, final Incal. Those were much harder to track
0: down. At the time, they're they're now all they're, they're now all been all... released by humanoids in hardcover. Uh, actually, I should, I, don't, I don't know if after the Incal has been released yet. I know it if it hasn't, it's coming soon. I've seen it in previews. I just don't remember how long ago that was.
1: I don't know either. I mean, I know I have currently before and final in Cal, but I don't know where after is
0: hiding. Um, let me take a look real quick. Mm, not clear. Not clear.
1: <laughs> that's that's the story of these these kind of Euro comics. Like we just do not know.
0: Yeah. So any any parting thoughts on the in Cal?
1: I would really really suggest people now that it is out there and in the open uh to go pick them up you can find them at barnes and nobles now and 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 probably your local comic book store will have them and chances are you've seen them on the shelves and they're probably fairly daunting because there are these big hardcovers that are, you know, $40, forty, fifty, maybe even sixty dollars in that range. But I would really suggest, you know, th- add this one to your collection because I think you will be proud to have this one. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's, it's I know with a lot of like people, you know, you, you have like a, a lot of single issues. You read the single issues, and then if you like it, you collect it. And and the one downside is, um, oh god, it's you, you either buy this at a forty-five dollar hardcover, all one one shot take take them all, or you really don't have any other option. And uh, I would hope you, if if you're into. You know really trying something different you know like you said expanding your palette checking out some european sci-fi stuff that really is very different from what you're used to reading that i think the incal is a is really a great find especially if you're a collector of, of some sorts
0: yeah yeah and what i would say you know when you when you talk to people who are really interested in music and they find bands that they like what you, what you really do at that point is you look for bands that those that the bands you like take influence from like if you mm-hmm. really want to dig deep if you take a look at a lot of the big names in even American comics nowadays. Mm-hmm. This is a book that is going to come up on their lists of influential books again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the forward the forward of the InCal the, the version we have is written by Brian Michael Bendis, mm-hmm. who is the you know superstar behind Avenger, a lot of Avengers and X Men and that kind of stuff in, in the modern era. So you know, the, if you want to start digging deeper beyond. Just the you know, the standard American stuff. I mean, these are the this is the stuff that the guys who write the stuff you like are. This is what they read themselves. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, I think that's that's a perfect
0: end cap to it. So dude, what else have you been into this week?
1: I have been swamped this week, so like literally nothing. <laughs> like it has just been I've been swamped. I haven't had the chance to it's funny, like no you know we like we've read the InCal before and I want to read it again. Like I I sat down last night and just read it again. That's like, that's literally how little time I've had in the last week to do, do anything for me for my own enjoyment. I've been bad. I mean I bought a bunch of books, haven't got a chance to read any of them, <laughs> but I'm super stoked, but yeah, it's not even close.
0: I have actually gone out the last three nights, believe it or not. You
1: you got out of the house?
0: Three nights in a row. What the fuck? So Thursday night was a was a maritime alumni event. Oh, yep, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Friday night, a bunch of us from work went out to a hockey game and then went out to the bar afterwards. And then last night, um, Becky, myself, and and her her dad and, and brother or her dad and father went and saw Pippin the the Broadway wow, yeah. tour, and that was that was wonderfully done. Pippin's actually one of my favorite shows, so yeah. I, I really and I really enjoyed that. And um, I also got I think I think it's the last one I'm waiting for, last Kickstarter game I'm waiting I was waiting for, and it's called Planetarium, and it basically it's kind of a, like a board and card game where you build a solar system, and mm. like as it goes along, like you kind of you're able to like move. The there's there's four planets and basically you end up moving them around the solar system and you can move them between different orbits and things and you can, you know, pick up you know resources like water and atmosphere and that kind of stuff and then use that to play cards Mm. and make the planets either more or less habitable stuff like that i mean i I backed it on kickstarter because of just how gorgeous the art was on the the cards and stuff it was just a beautiful looking game Uh, i've not had a chance to play it yet because it came yesterday actually came yesterday while i was getting a new microwave (laughs) because the other one was getting ready to explode
1: oh that's fun
0: yeah so it means i can actually like fully cook fully cook dinner now nice it was hard. It's like, like, oh, yeah, I got all these frozen vegetables. Oh, there's, oh you have to microwave them. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to playing that. And, uh, it's a gorgeous-looking game. Good stuff. So all right, all right, folks. If you like what we do, make sure you head over to ThereforeIGeek.com. Check out our blog posts on our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. So, once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Dude. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. I looked up Borgia on Amazon at yeah. part of the
1: Manoral Library. $225.
0: <laughs> what the hell?